Hey everyone, this is your host, Jake Hirschman. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast. We are excited to bring you Suja Organic as our sponsor for today's episode. If you go to shop.sujajuice.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll be able to receive 15% off their packages. Excited to have Suja on board and thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with Scott Lewis as a part of the Next Up Partners Partnership. Really looking forward to discussing with Scott a little bit about social content, uh, audiences, valuations, uh, and a whole slew of things in terms of his career path, how he got started in the industry. Um, Scott's the Director of Strategic Initiatives and Business Intelligence at Zoom. We'll dive into a little bit of what that is, what he does, um, and how he's trying to impact uh, teams and organizations on a daily basis. So Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jake. Uh, this is uh, just a great opportunity. I have to admit, I have not been on a podcast prior to this one. So I can't thank you enough. I have been seeing so much participation on so many podcasts and was hopeful that at some point I'd get to enjoy the fun that I've seen so many others enjoying during this entire time. So thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. So you heard it here first. This is the first appearance of Scott Lewis on any sort of podcast. So that's where you'll find it on Life in the Front Office. Um, you know, I, I like to think, though, that a good podcast listener makes for a fantastic guest. So we're in for a treat today. Um, Scott, you know, when you think about Zoom from what you do in your current role. We'll, we'll rewind a little bit and get to kind of your different experiences at the NBA and within MLB, DC United, the Orioles, et cetera. But, but currently from a Zoom perspective, what is Zoom, right? What do you do? How do you help people? Um, where is social content moving? And uh, let's go from there. Yeah, I feel very fortunate to be at Zoom. I started there uh, last May as a consultant. It was kind of like a tryout, if you will. And it went so well that they created a full-time position for me in August. And I could not have lucked out because amidst a time of so many challenges and cuts across so many segments of the sports industry, I mean, no industry has really been as hit hard, as hard hit. Uh, as the sports and leisure industry during this entire time. And so to find a place where it's actually been growing continually in working with teams across all different leagues, esports teams, brands, in valuing their social content, their social engagement, providing a platform in which they can gain deep audience insights around who their social followers are and get insights that were never before as attainable and as actionable. Feel very fortunate to wind up with a tech startup that uh, we just grew this week to 27 people. I was able to add someone who was a former colleague of mine at the Orioles. And so to hire someone twice in the span of two years, what, what more could you ask for? So very young, very different from the established process heavy, operations heavy front office experience and league experience that I've had to very fast paced, very dynamic, very growth oriented. The energy level is unlike anything I've seen before. And our president and co-founder, Amir Zanozi, anyone who is not following him on social, on LinkedIn, 
just uh, an incredible visionary. And, and to work with people who have been there for six plus years that they built the company, they've started with it. What a unique experience. And so I feel very fortunate to be where I'm at now, still within the sports industry, again, working with so many different teams and reconnecting with people who I enjoyed working with when I was with the NBA, with two baseball teams, with an MLS team, and now getting to collaborate with them again in an area that has just only grown in importance during this shutdown. Without fans being able to come to the games, teams quickly saw the way to reach the fans was through social content and through integrated content with their corporate partners and being able to provide that ROI back to them. And so it's been great to see, you know, I've heard six years of innovation and in six months, you know, something like that. I think social content has also evolved to where teams now have developed more options than they ever had before. And we're helpful to play a part in that, helpful to play a part in measuring that as well as it can be and being able to enable teams and leagues and partners to realize that ROI uh, from that, that commitment uh, to those properties. So uh, very thankful to be where I'm at now. And uh, it's been fun day in and day out. Yeah, Scott, when you think about the, the summertime where you had all these at-home videos and that was part of the social content kind of boom, right? And, and you know, how did you garner different fans? Because fans were trying to hold on to anything from a sports perspective. And to your point, it's one thing to just get content out there. It's another thing to actually do it effectively, understand what your return on investment is. You know, what do you put paid behind? What do you not put paid behind, right? There's all these different decisions that go into it. And, you know, your experience at the team level and the league level, um, not to mention, we'll get into also, you know, kind of the consulting world where you first started, that has to help you immensely when you're trying to understand the team in the league's problems and how you solve them, because you've been there, you've been in the front office, you understand the complexity or kind of the structure in which they're trying to operate within. So that's got to be a big strength and advantage for you, right? Yeah. And that was one of the reasons why Zoom saw value in adding me to their, their operations. Again, very small startup didn't have any tech startup or SaaS experience prior to this, but having that understanding and that insight, knowing the amount of pressure that team personnel are, are under and even more so during this time and having to still deliver that return and that value back to partners and back to fans at a time when it's even more difficult because we're used to them coming into the venue and that's where we interact most with them. And that's where partners primarily activated. And now, it had to be shifted to digital and social content. So absolutely understanding what they're going through and how can we make their lives easier through what we provide and through our core product. And so I've been uh, very thankful to be able to contribute that level of insights to the organization that previously only had, I think one or two other people that had spent time in a front office. So that's what I brought to the table and that's what I was hopeful as I was able to get so many great experiences through a decade and a half from the NBA league office through three different teams, what could I now contribute to a tech startup uh, to, en to enable them to have that continued success that started long before I got there? For those colleagues that you have that are at the teams or at the league, what can, what can they learn from what you've learned at a tech startup being kind of outside of the team front office uh, component? Yeah, I think that uh, 
the, in this case, the growth of social content, it's not a make good. I think when this pandemic started, the notion was, well, what can we open up as make good? So for example, Major League Baseball opened up assets on web pages and within its mobile app that teams can now activate their partners more easily than they could before. It's gone well beyond make goods. This is how you generate even more value. So I think that's what I would most communicate to people at teams that would had up until now been thrown into a, a deal as maybe an add-on. So if you spend X amount, you get in-venue signage and we'll give you three email blasts. We'll give you five Facebook posts. Well, now I think the more forward thinking teams are developing rate cards specifically tied to social assets that up until now had only been to physical assets. So that's what I would most communicate is that all that time you've put in to now having to work more closely with your colleagues in digital and marketing to deliver new assets, keep doing that. Uh, there is now more value than there ever has been in social assets and that can become a core part of the packages that you now position out to your current partners and as you prospect that this was not a make good, this is now a key core part of what you can deliver back to partners. Well, and the notion that the inventory is endless, right? Or there's, you know, infinite amount of social posts. It's like, not really, right? There's only so many fans and so many eyeballs and um, so many, you know, posts that you can make without cluttering your channels and all of that sort of stuff to where it's a similar asset to signage, right? There's only so many minutes in a game. There's only so many signs and so on. So how do you treat it in the same fashion and also assign it a different value because it is a different audience most likely as well. Yeah, and how do you be more creative? I think the Miami Dolphins got this started five years ago in creating original content around Facebook pregame shows. And then fast forward, the Washington football team creating a YouTube series called Infil Unfiltered with different themes uh, for I think almost every day of the week. The Washington football team was a tremendous story on social this year, as well as on the field and what they've done off the field in their front office. But anyone who hasn't seen their YouTube content needs to go out and see it. They don't get enough credit for it. And the way that they have, have added on to that. So just like you said, they're not adding clutter. They're adding original content. And so when we looked at the amount of content that NFL teams were putting out and how that impacted their engagement rate. So just say impressions divided by engagements, likes, retweets, comments. The Washington football team almost doubled the amount of content they put out this year, and they actually raised their engagement rate by a couple of percentage points. And so that was, it showed that they had not sacrificed engagement for quantity. Uh, that wasn't the same story for all teams, but that sort of, they figure out a way to do it with original content that was rewarding to their social base. So uh, they did a great job. Buffalo Bills did a fantastic job, especially on TikTok. Anyone who hasn't seen their content out there uh, has definitely missed out. Uh, and, uh, and, it's, and it's enjoyable to be in a space where we get to root for these teams. Uh, we get to root for this content and see what else develops and know that we can measure it and we can put a, a dollar, a brand value on it and enable teams to be able to go back to their COOs, their CFOs, and be able to ask for more content and more resources. I've been there and that's the understanding. We, we, we wanna 
give them the means to be able to ask for more. And, and I've been there where you think the answer is going to be no. And if you've got the right data, uh, you've got a good shot at getting uh, an expansion. Yeah, let's go to that data point because it's interesting where, you know, each platform, you mentioned TikTok, you mentioned YouTube, Instagram, they're all different platforms. And I don't, and I don't need to state the obvious, right? But the audiences are different in each and every platform right? Who, who follows on YouTube as your fan of DC United or the Baltimore Orioles is going to be different than the person on TikTok and different than the person on Instagram. So how do you use data to better understand the audiences, the consumers, uh, and ultimately which brands might ultimately end up fitting, you know, which platform best? Because you can't just put the same content across all the channels. Yeah, you know, I, I am going to quote Amir Zanozi, again, our, our president and co-founder, and not just because he's my boss, but he, he made this statement on a sports pro webinar uh, event back in the fall, and it was called uh, Niches Get Riches, or Niches Get Riches, I should say, uh, to the point where they even sent him a t-shirt with that quote on it. And that's, that is really the key thing to keep in mind, niches get riches, not to use the same content across every platform. And I have seen teams that do that. Uh, they take the same post and the same text and they replicate it from Facebook to Twitter to Instagram. No, just like you said, knowing what types of content are generating the most engagement within each platform and then being able to harness that to have specific content strategies to each platform. And some teams have been doing that for a while. I can remember when I worked at the, Nos the Washington Nationals. Uh, the person who oversaw our content strategy had a different strategy for each platform. And so it's, it's not new, but not everyone follows it. And thanks to what we do, we now have the data to be able to provide back to support those strategies. Because what it ultimately needs is the amount of ample resources to employ that type of strategy. I think teams that are posting the same content across different social channels probably are some of the shortest in terms of resources and bandwidth. Yeah. And it definitely goes back to that resource perspective, right? Where you said, Hey, can we ask for more? Can we, because you can then expand upon value. But one interesting point is that from a fan perspective and a consumer perspective, you know, going on social, right. Is just one way to interact as a fan with a team. Um, and you might have the data behind who's engaging with what post, but is there a space in which predictive analytics are going to come into action where you might understand, okay, this is the type of fan is that's going to come to our content. If we put this type of content out there, are we getting to that space yet? I'm so glad you asked that. It almost seems like we had pre-selected that as a question. That is one of the areas I'm looking at at Zoom is to what degree we can harness data science. And by teaching at George Washington University, I've been an adjunct professor there for almost 10 years. I've taught at Georgetown before that. Now starting to put in play the process of working with students and another professor there to see to what degree you can take our social data. We have as much of it as we could want and, and then some. And to what degree is it predictive? Uh, I was talking to a student at Wake Forest yesterday who loves our platform so much, she asked for data to take a look at it. So I gave her a, a large data set and I said, have at it. I can't tell you what the dependent variable is. I can't tell you what the story is, 
but here you have an opportunity. She's a, a math and stats major. And I thought if anyone could have fun with it, it would be her. And so, yeah, as you asked, that is the next step. And I don't know that it can be done, but we are going to take as deep a dive into that area to see what the possibilities are. And if it is not as credible as we would like it to be, we will be able to, to tell our partners and our future partners why, but that is the next step. So I'm glad you asked that because absolutely, that is what we're looking into. And teams have started to ask that type of question. If I have a certain amount of content promoting a game, how does that correlate to ticket sales for that game? If I have tune-in content for a particular game, how does that correlate to TV ratings? And, and, the, and the connections are, are limitless, but just as you said, that is the next step. That's what we're looking at and I'm excited about it to be in a place where we're kind of like a, a think tank. We have the resources to do that. There aren't many places that could. NBA Teambo could do that. Uh, they can do a lot of things uh, with the resources they have. It would be very difficult for teams to now do this on, on their end. Uh, there are certainly are teams with large enough strategy and analytics practices that, that could take a stab. Uh, it's just a matter of getting the data. And so we're in a place where uh, it's not a data lake. We've got a data ocean, if you will. Yeah, the data lake is a, is a term I love, but but data ocean, I have, that's the first that's the first time I've heard that one. So same you know, here. I, I haven't heard that one before. That just kind of came to me. So there you go. You heard it here. My first podcast, the first time you've heard data ocean. This is I'm, where it came from. I'm going to have to bring that one back to colleagues. That's great. You know, I think um, in the predictive space, though, like if if that's able to be harnessed, the opportunities are pretty scary and they're, and they're really interesting in the sense of, you mentioned, you know, if we put this amount of content out, what are we going to result in X amount of ticket sales? Or, you know, you could almost price partnerships and sponsorships based on what you can predict their content, their storyline to perform. You might be able to then start to dynamic price. I know I'm probably getting way ahead of myself in that sense, but it's, it's out there, right? It's, it's just, as you mentioned, kind of this, the, you know, six years of acceleration and innovation in six months, like that's, it's going to be here before we know it, I think, right. And you're, you're the expert certainly to, to say whether it's possible, but I, as you mentioned, kind of, how do you understand what is next, right? No one could foresee the pandemic. No one could foresee the boom in, in the amount of content, but what is next in terms of the content world, making sure that we have so many options now on where to view something, what to view, and our time is still finite. So how do you get people to engage to your point in terms of engagement rates? What's, what's the, the next iteration in that respect? Yeah, and it's, it, it's, it comes down to, as a company, where can we add value? I mean, that's what's most exciting is as long as we can continue to add value, then it's an enjoyable place to be. And that's why I'm excited about the data science element. I think part of it is we have a, we have a data ocean. We've got room for some more data. TikTok does not yet have an API in which we can pull in the data. Uh, and so we're excited when that comes out. I don't know when it's coming out, but Right now, we're able to pull data from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch. Uh, so we are, we are always hungry for the next 
stream of data that comes from the next platform. And, and so at the moment, we can't measure TikTok and, that, and that's the reason, but we look forward to when we can tie that in. Will Triller continue to grow? I read today about Clubhouse becoming the new hot social network and, and so forth. I, you know, I can remember when I got to DC United and a decision was made, we're gonna sort of de-emphasize Facebook and go all in on Snapchat. And before that, I can remember teaching at Georgetown and it was all about pin sanity for Pinterest, if you will. And so, you know, the, 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 the sort of dynamic and fun part is there's always going to be that new platform that comes along that just meets a need that we may not have foreseen coming as quickly. And we are going to be ready for the data that comes from that platform. So we are rooting for more engagement. We're rooting for any platform that enables that because that opens up an opportunity for us to then harness that data into our platform and continue to add that value back in the way that we currently are and, and looking at, at new areas. And so that's certainly one of the more fun parts that I've enjoyed about the job so far is being in that think tank type of uh, location uh, and having that dynamic to be able to then act on those, those ideas and options and see how far down we can uh, evaluate them. Prior to that, you were at the Orioles, you know, kind of overseeing their strategy and analytics. And you mentioned those departments are usually thinner, but they're starting to become more robust in, in different um, areas of the business, you know, different variety of sports. What's the ultimate responsibility of a strategy analytics department? Because it's, it's vague in the sense of, of you can do so many different things, but then what's most valuable to the organization probably differs, I would have to imagine. Yeah, and it, and it depends on the organization, uh, and it ultimately is driven from leadership in those organizations, and I work for three very different teams. The crux of it is getting as much of the organization to be as data-driven as possible, and that's what NBA Teambo started, and I was very fortunate to work at Teambo starting in 2005 through 2008, and just being around so many incredible people, I, I, I've lost track. Uh, I, I wish I could have just walked around the office one day and filmed everyone, but that was the crux. At Teemo, we were trying to get teams to bring on a person so that they could be more data-driven. It started with Matt Griffin at the Boston Celtics. Anyone who works in strategy analytics should send Matt Griffin a, a note and just say thank you. Thank you for starting this. Uh, Josh Brickman at the Bruins and was another early person and Joe Dupriest, uh, who was at Monumental was probably, those are probably the three uh, uh, founding fathers, if you will. And so that's the crux is getting the organization to be data-driven. Does that mean focusing on ticket sales? Does that mean focusing on partnerships? Does that mean focusing on concessions? Depends on the organization and where they believe the emphasis is. Uh, for the majority of teams, it does follow the revenue. It does start with ticket sales. Partnerships, kind of sat second or third. You'd be surprised by the amount of focus on concessions and giveaways within baseball when sponsorships drive so much more revenue. And so that's why the, the pandemic has been interesting because it finally brought partner insight folks and teams much further up the chain, the value chain in terms of the org setup. So to get back to your question, uh, that's the crux of it. The ultimate goal is get as much of the organization to be as data-driven. You're right, it can mean a lot of things. When I used to go to league meetings, 
whether it was a, the MLB CRM conference, an analytics conference, you could look at the roster of the attendees and no two people had the same title. And it was kind of funny to, to look at it that way. But the degree to which that department crosses over to so within the organization, it really just depends on the team uh, and the leadership. The Nationals uh, have a great leader in Mike Carney and they're involved in every decision that that organization makes. Uh, and then there are others where they're a little bit more focused on, on ticket sales and ticket ops. Sure. And that data-driven mindset, right, is it's more of a mindset and approach more than anything else. Um, not every decision is going to be made through data, but data might affect the decision in some sort of fashion. There's still, there's still that feel component, right? There's still that gut instinct component and kind of human interaction, but it certainly can help guide you in a direction uh, in, in making some of those decisions. And one interesting thing that I, I noticed about your career path is you started in the consulting world, right? Deloitte and PwC, you don't necessarily see too many people in the sports industry that started in consulting, um, you know, at one, of big, at one of the big four. So what was your path into getting into the MBA Teambo office? Because, uh, you know, you mentioned you had a tremendous experience there, but what was the, what was kind of the transition like from one to another? Yeah, and I think back then, so this is going back 2002 to 2005, spent three and a half years with Deloitte in New York, where they had a lot of sports and media clients and thought, if I can't get into sports right away out of Duke Business School, maybe I can get to a place that interacts with a lot of sports clients. Uh, although getting to the NBA was, thanks to a classmate of mine, uh, at Duke Business School, his name's Sean O'Neill, and his brother Scott O'Neill uh, is pretty well known in the in the industry. He's the CEO of uh, Harris Bits, Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, and at the time he was running Timo, and I had no idea when I uh, Sean offered to connect me with his brother. I had no idea who Scott O'Neill was, and uh, and then I quickly got to know and and was very appreciative of the opportunity to to work with him uh, for three years at the NBA. At that time, you're right; it was kind of rare. Uh, I think the majority of people going into the sports industry, the entry level point was within ticket sales or selling sponsorships. NBA Teemo truly unique in that it was bringing in not just people who had worked for teams, but people completely outside of it who had a different mindset. And so as a consultant, I think that's what they valued. It was a role that was focused on analytics within ticket sales, looking at ticket pricing strategy, and taking a look that a person who had worked in ticket sales might not necessarily have. And they had people who had ticket sales experience. So I learned a tremendous amount from them uh, and was very appreciative of that. Uh, and so that's how I made that transition. I wanted to get into sports. I didn't know much about Timo at the time. They were kind of young. Uh, I'd only been around for a few years but uh, really lucked out. I don't know where I would be if I hadn't gotten that opportunity. And that's what made it possible to then go out to the teams that I worked with. Uh, being at Teemo was almost like getting a second MBA degree just in team sports. And so uh, very fortunate to have started there. I think the more expected path would have been to have worked at teams before going to a league entity known as Teemo, but that's the way it played out. No, it's certainly interesting. And, and look, everyone's got a different story. Everyone has a different path. But I think to your point, kind of the different perspectives and the different approaches that you're able to take from 
you know, outside of sports and into sports, certainly, um, you know, I'm sure helps from a growth perspective. You know, one thing you mentioned earlier was being an adjunct professor and it's certainly an opportunity as we all get older to learn from the ones that are younger uh, and the ones that are coming into the business to understand like, how do they see things? How do they understand what is going on in the industry? And what's maybe one thing that as an adjunct professor, you understand better or differently because of, you know, something that, that you were able to learn from your students as much as opposed to your students learning from you. It's incredible how much you learn by teaching a course. I recommend it to anyone. I think there's, it's been great to see the amount of people who are now adjunct professors as universities have been challenged to meet the needs of students and have expanded. So it's been great to see that, but it's amazing how much you do learn by teaching a course as opposed to taking a course. I think what I have appreciated the most is just how decision sciences have evolved. And so when I started within the NBA, if you were advanced in Excel, then you were seen as being a data whiz. And now it's amazing to see the way that programming skills such as R and Python have become much more common within education programs like George Washington and data visualization. So whether it's Tableau, Power Builder, uh, to see the way that it is just evolving so fast, that's what I've, I've been most appreciative. So I, I don't know, it's, to get back to your question, I don't know if maybe it's something I've, I've learned, but certainly something I've been most appreciative of is having an opportunity to see how fast the educational experience is evolving in terms of what, how the curriculum is evolving and knowing that these types of students and skills are there and they, and for the ones that want to go into sports or into social intelligence, being able to quickly connect with them. Uh, I think that's one of the main reasons why I teach. Uh, one is that the course I teach does provide value back to the students uh, and that they enjoy it. Uh, I kind of take it one year at a time, like Vin Scully did towards the end of his career. The moment the course is no longer adding value is the time to perhaps stop. And, and fortunately, every year it has. And then secondly, just having such readily access to students and knowing what skills they are developing and developing much more quickly and being able to potentially hire students. I've been able to do that four times. And I would say that's what's most rewarding about anything. If, if when I'm asked, uh, not frequently, but every once in a blue moon, like, what are you most proud of? What's your your proudest accomplishment, hiring someone who started as a student. Uh, that's what I'm most proud of and getting to continue that in-classroom experience into the front office. Uh, that's easily been the most rewarding. So uh, hopefully that answered your question. Uh, that, that's certainly what I, I appreciate the most. You stole a question from me. So there you go. It's uh, right on. you answered it already. And I think, you know, to, to that point, right, the rewarding component of, you know, hiring a student uh, so cool to see that journey, right? And to be able to see that process play out. Um, Scott, we'll finish up the, the episode with a little bit of rapid fire, which I, I always love to, uh, you know, especially, hey, your first podcast, it's like, you know, rapid fire questions. We'll, we'll see how this goes. But um, the biggest understatement of analytics in your mind is what? 
I don't know if I have an answer. That's going to be a, a speed round question. The biggest yeah. understatement of analytics. I, I'm going to tie it back to what you just said. Uh, and I'm probably not going to answer the question. And, and But I'm going to make you think I answered the question. Okay. That's okay. Uh, you talked about the journey. And one of my favorite quotes that I have shared with anyone who's worked with me, uh, I was fortunate to meet uh, John Wooden, when I was a student at UCLA and I worked in the athletic department, and my favorite quote by John Wooden is, the journey is greater than the end, whatever you're doing. And so when you talk about analytics, that's it. Just appreciate that there's not going to be this aha moment with any time you begin an analysis. It's, it's a journey. It's a journey about getting more people to buy into it, whoever you're working with, getting more buy-in across the organization, getting more people to be data-driven. So I'm probably not going to answer your question. I'm just going to, if I, if I, in Bill Walton tradition, I didn't impart one John Wooden quote. I would not have done my job on this podcast. Uh, and I did get to meet John, uh, Bill Walton while I was uh, working at the NBA and, and it was it was unreal. Uh, that's, that's fantastic. No, hey, I, I, I appreciate your answer because you shed a little bit more wisdom and insights there. Um, yeah, the next question, what's your favorite Bill Walton story? Or, or no, I wasn't going there, but uh, what was, what's your favorite book? <laughs> I was afraid you were going to ask that question uh, because with a five and seven year old, if you could see most of the books I've read lately, uh, they they primarily uh, include Peppa Pig and Arthur uh, <laughs> as a result. Arthur is a classic. Arthur is a classic. I remember that one. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, I don't think there, there's one book that I could point to. I will say Back when I was working at the NBA, I found Vecca's in Rec in Scott O'Neill's office. And let's just say I borrowed it for about 16 years and counting. And I feel like anyone who wants to go into sports marketing should go back to, and it's not a quick read, mind you, but go back to Vecca's in Rec and you will read uh, someone who was decades ahead of in terms of ideas to enhance and increase fan engagement. It has nothing to do with data and analytics. Uh, but it's about someone who is well ahead of their time in what they tried. And, and I enjoyed my time overseeing marketing for DC United because I got to try some crazy ideas. So, uh, but if you're looking for leadership and wisdom, pick up any book by John Wooden. Uh, just, and, and I would say one additional book that a colleague of mine at DC United at the time gave me, it was by Bill Walton. It was called Back from the Dead. And he talks about his life story, but it is so intertwined with the wisdom of John Wooden that I did. It, it motivated me to do something I hadn't ever done before. I wrote a letter to Bill Walton. It probably never reached him, but I found uh, through his website where to submit a, an email uh, and also where to send to a P.O. box in San Diego. And I don't know if he ever got it, but I. Uh, that book was inspirational too, and also enjoyable. Bill Walton is such an entertaining person. I, I guess you either hate him, you either like him or like him less. Uh, but as a UCLA alum, I, I love watching games and Bill Walton's calling them. And so his book, because of what he went through in adversity through his playing career, and because of the way John Wooden impacted his life, and you'll see plenty of Wooden quotes, uh, I would point to that book as well. You know, I was waiting for that wooden plug-in on the book side because, you know, full disclosure, you are a Bruin. You are a Bruin yeah. alum, right? And so my next question is, Pauly Pavilion or the Rose Bowl? 
I would have to say Pauley Pavilion because I was lucky enough to be there when UCLA won a national championship. The history of Pauley Pavilion, so many titles, so many different sports, the 84 Olympiad. So I have Pauley also being on campus. I spent so much time working at all different athletics, women's gymnastics, women's basketball, volleyball. I, I was a sub mascot one night and, uh, and that was an experience all, I recommend be a mascot just one night. That's all you need. You lose 15. We can do pounds. a whole other episode on the mascot version. Yeah. Yeah. You should be able to empathize. If you cannot empathize with the mascot community, you simply will not succeed in sports. Plain and simple. That's it. So yeah, absolutely, Paulie. Rose Bowl went there a lot, worked there for the LA Galaxy and the US national team when they were playing games there and when MLS started. Uh, and it, what a phenomenal venue, but because it was off campus, uh, I would have to say, given the amount of time I was in around, uh, I was the soccer team equipment manager, our locker room was in Pauly, so seven days a week I was lugging laundry, uh, but for some incredible players, uh, uh, Greg Vanny coaching the LA Galaxy now, uh, the, the stories could go on and on about uh, the, the classmates and future uh, world-class players that I got to interact with. So yeah, long, long answer, Pauly Pavilion. We're going for the record length on a podcast here. If you're still with us, we're on part 56, right? Uh, and, and, I, got, and, I got one last question. I have one last question because you spent uh, a considerable amount of years in DC and you had to have wandered around at some point to find your favorite monument or museum, I guess. We can throw the museum in there too. Wow, that's a tough one. Favorite museum or monument? Uh, I would have to say everyone probably picks the Lincoln. So I will go just to the side of that. The Jefferson, the Jefferson Memorial, because of the tidal basin, because of the cherry trees and the cherry blossom festival, which if you have not experienced it, you go, how, how could that, what's, I, I don't understand. What is the appeal of that? Oh, you have to come to DC in late March, early April. And uh, it, it's simply breathtaking. So I would have to say the Jefferson Memorial, I'll probably kick myself uh, after this. Uh, but if I had to pick one monument to see, I would say, if you want to see a real hidden gem, uh, so there is a great Twitter account called the Ghosts of DC. But the one real hidden gem I can leave you with is, unbeknownst to many people, the Beatles played their first show ever in the United States in Washington, D.C. It was not Shea Stadium. Uh, they were on the Ed Sullivan Show, but their first actual concert was at a, a venue that no longer exists, the Washington Coliseum. It's now an office complex, and there is a uh, there is a outdoor store. I can't believe I'm blanking on the name of it, uh, one of the more popular ones. Way in the back they have seats from that venue, from that concert kind of mounted on the wall. And so if you are a music fan, you have to make a pilgrimage to the old Washington Coliseum and they have posters up from the concert. And so uh, I would say that would be one hidden thing of DC. I know you didn't ask for it, but I thought I'd give it to you anyway.
hey, you you just you added on to the rapid fire on your own, so that that's completely okay. Um, Scott, I, I would say no pun intended, you've hit this out of the park for sure. Um, really enjoyed having you on and for your first podcast experience, but also as part of uh, the Next Up Partners Partnership Series, and uh, really appreciate all the insights you've shared. Certainly uh, welcome on again anytime in the near future. Uh, I think we might have to do episode two on on the uh, the mascot stories. So uh, stay tuned for that one. Well, thank you, Jake. This was a thrill. And just remember, someone else is going to take credit for Data Ocean. You're going to hear it. Someone else is going to say they came up with it. And you can claim that it came up for the first time on your podcast. And I'll be there with you. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Scott, really appreciate it. Thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you, Jake. Thanks again for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast. Remember, today's episode was brought to you by Suja Organic. If you go to shop.sujajuice.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll be able to receive 15% off of their packages. Excited to have Suja on board for the month of April. And again, thanks for listening and stay tuned for next episode.